Would you please stand with me out of respect for the family as they enter for the celebration? Thank you. You may be seated. Would you please join me in a moment of prayer at this time? O Lord, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we humbly pray that you would look down upon our sorrowing hearts and be gracious to us. Heavenly Father, you are the comforter of all who sorrow. You are the helper of all who need And we pray that you would give comfort to those whose joy has been turned to sorrow over the death of this dear one in your sight. We place our trust in you, and we ask that you would give us in the moments ahead a new measure of your love. We humbly pray this in Jesus' name. And I ask you to join me as we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The family has asked that we would sing a song of testimony because Jesus has conquered the grave. And because he lives, we have access to life as well. So I invite you to join me in singing of the hymn, Because He Lives, accompanied by Jan Crawford. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he bled and died to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. 
Because I know he holds a future and life is worth the living just because he lives. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because Christ lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds a future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. And then one day I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know he reigns. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds a future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. The other day as I met with the family, um, one of them asked me point blank, well, Dave, you've pastored him for the last three years. What do you think may be an appropriate scripture uh, to summarize Kenny's personality? And uh, I know he is far too humble to ever say this about himself. But the first scripture that popped into my mind, and if you knew Kenny well, you, you'll know why, is a scripture that says, but let your gentleness be evident to all. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 5, we read, let your gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. 
You know, I told the family that gentleness was the first thing that popped in my mind when, when I thought of Ken. And I looked up that word gentleness there in verse 5 that we just read. is actually, it's a translation from another language. And the word isn't simply gentleness the way we would think of as in lacking of strength. But the word carries the idea of not insisting on every right or letter of the law or custom. That word gentle means to be yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. Indeed, can he let his gentleness be evident to all? Kenneth Henry Stahl, at the age of 89, died this past Monday at Wesley Medical Center. Born March 6th, 1932 in Newton, Kansas, to Henry and Anna Marie Farberstahl. Kenny was a lifelong farmer and rancher. His hobbies were farming and ranching. And he loved getting together with friends and sharing stories. I was told even in his final week of life in the hospital, family was hearing stories that they had never heard before. Kenny was a member of Flint Hills Community Church here, where he loved being a greeter on Sundays. And if you look real close, you can probably see the outline of his hindquarters in that gray chair right out front there. His faith was so important to him. And he placed his trust in Christ at the age of 17 as a junior in high school. Kenny also enjoyed going to the cafe for breakfast and the Chase County Senior Center for the midday. On December 29, 1960, he married Ruth Marion Bills of Friendswood, Texas, and they shared 54 years of marriage before she passed on March 16th of six years ago. It's hard to know if I should call him Ken, Kenny, or Kenneth, because you all usually knew him as Kenny. But whenever I called him Ken, he refused to call me Dave. To Kenneth, I was always David. And so um, since I was David to him, he may be Kenneth to me. And so if I slip between Ken, Kenny, and Kenneth, there's no disrespect intended. It's because he was a dear friend, and we kind of had that inside jab going with one another. Kenny is survived by his children, Carla Siemens and husband Russell of Berthoud, Colorado, Kathy Reimer and husband Stan of Wichita, and Heath Stahl and his wife Melinda of Olathe. He's survived by grandchildren, David and Miranda Siemens, Braden, Rebecca, Olivia, and Philip Reimer, and Emma, James, and Kristen Stahl. He was preceded in death by both of his parents, by siblings Rod, Charlene, and by his loved daughter, Kim. Burial will take place at a later time at the Homestead Cemetery. But at this time, we don't want to focus too much on Kenny. Kenny's desire, even in his last days, was that God would be glorified. 
And so we're going to sing together another song testifying of how great God truly is. Join with me. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, my God, how great thou art. 
Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Oh, I think the friends from Homestead would be blessed at the great singing this morning. I'd like to invite a friend up to the platform at this time, someone who knew uh, Kenny very well. Brother uh, Alan Phipps is going to come and share some of his recollections of uh, riding the the plains and the prairies with uh, Brother Ken and the work that they did together. long we hope but I was asked by the family to come up and share some memoirs of Ken and I and so uh, I'm going to try to do that this morning I heard it said this week that no path leads to yesterday and I think that's true we must go forward from here to have progress but memories are permanent and when we uh, receive them best is when they're shared and so I'm going to talk about a few events that Ken and I went through and some things we've done and uh, you'll all recognize him when we talk about him. Now, I know there's many people here that have known him longer than I have and uh, been around him longer than I have but he and I worked together for about 20 years and so we had a lot of good experiences and I'm going to hopefully share some with you here today. The first thing I wanted to talk about was something Melinda wanted me to share. really doesn't shine very well on me, but we used to uh, cowboy a lot, and we, this particular day we were cold and ridden all morning, and we got to Cassidy for lunch and had a good big lunch, and it warmed up, and I have the fault of after I get warm and full, I tend to like, you know, drop off to sleep once in a while, so we headed north in the, the truck and trailer, and I kind of bobbed my head and woke up, and there's Kenny's arm over here at the steering wheel. <laughs> Keep me on the road, see? He didn't bother to wake me up. He just kept us going down the road. <laughs> and I said to him, I said, well, Kenny, do you want to drive? Well, he said, one of us needs to. <laughs> the first real event that we really were with Ken and Ruth was at uh, the sad time of their foreclosure on their farm. And the thing that impressed me about that, those days the most about Kennedy was he didn't really try to blame anyone else, you know. He just he didn't blame the bank or the, the weather or the cattle market. He took the responsibility himself, and he felt bad about that, but it didn't, it didn't uh, turn him, didn't depress him like it did some people. He was able to go on, you know. So we, uh, I mean, they... He missed his payment two months, and they foreclosed on him, and some people had asked me, and so I asked him, why didn't you uh, maybe go check and see about doing a bankruptcy, you know, and try to save some things, and he said, you know, Ruth and I tried that. We got some advice to go see a bankruptcy lawyer, and we went in and showed him our, our loans and our papers and things, and 
He said, well, this is no big deal. Just go max out your credit card and get you a new car, and we'll stick it to these people. Ken said, we stood right up and left because he told me, he said, I don't know much, but I know that that ain't right. And as far as I know, he never went to see a lawyer after that. So uh, he wanted to do the right thing every time, you know, just the way he was. And if you ever saw a red truck on the road, you could tell his because it had a big arm stick out there, you know. <laughs> That's the way he waved to you. Everybody knew that wave. That was Kenny coming, and I told him a time or two he should do a Ford commercial with that old Ford truck because that thing had been everywhere once and most places twice. And When you got in with him, you had whatever you needed. If you found a log on the fence, he'd find a chainsaw. You know, there's some waders back behind there. Every tool you needed was there, and one day I pulled his seat up looking for a slicker, and there was a little bicycle pump back there. I said, okay, Ken, what's this for? Well, he said, if your tire goes down, you can put that on there and maybe get to the road or get out to a hard place. And by golly, he would use it too. <laughs> so I hadn't seen one of them for years. I got to where I trusted his opinion quite a bit, and and we had a bunch of cows one year and needed to buy some hay. And so I'd heard about some hay for sale pretty close. And it was described as a mixed grass hay. So I said, Kenny, I want you to go with me and look at that hay. And he said, well, you can look at it. And I said, yeah, but I want to know what you think about it. And he said, okay. He went along. We got over and looked at it. And it was big, nice bales and asking the guy about what it was. And he said, well, most of it's fescue hay, big, tall fescue. And so... We got a price out of him and headed back home. I got to check with the owner to see if he wanted it. And as we were headed home, I said to him, Kenny, what do you think about that hay? He just looked over at me and looked back forward and say nothing. But that was a little strange. Went a little further and I said, Kenny's the price on that hay about right, you think? And he looked over at me and didn't say nothing. Kept going down the road and pretty soon I thought, well, I think he's trying to tell me something. <laughs> so I says to him, Kenny, you think them old cows will eat that hay? He looked over and he said, they'll eat that right before they eat each other. <laughs> <laughs> I guess then he didn't want me to buy it, so we didn't get that. <laughs> so we had a saying for everything, you know, and it would, uh, it would kind of keep you going. He used to say that old slow and steady gets her done, you know. And then we'd talk about doing the job. He'd say, well, we get started, we're half done, you know. And that's the way he looked at things. So it, uh, I'm going to close with a story that I go back to foreclosure. And Rick Griffin had a version of this story earlier he talked to me about. I found out about the same thing just a little differently. About a year or so after the foreclosure, we... Uh, I had a guy from western Kansas wanted to look at a ranch down by Sedan, so he wanted me to go with him. I went with him down there to look and and come to find out the guy that met us was from the same insurance company that had foreclosed on Kenny. I think Rick thought it was prudential, and I think that's probably right. Big insurance company. So we looked at it, and this guy said, after we got done, well, just you guys go back into Sedan, I'll buy your lunch. And I said, okay. We said, okay, that's a good deal. So we got in and sat down. He asked me where I was from. I said, Matfield Green. And he said, well, Matfield Green. He said, 
We've got a story in our office about a guy from Matfield Green, a big tall guy. I'm trying to think of his name. I said, Ken Stahl. He said, that's the man. <laughs> I said, well, what's your story? He said, well, he's got quite a reputation in our office. And I kind of burred up at that little bit. I said, what do you mean, reputation? He said, he is the most honest man we ever foreclosed on. And so uh, I said, how'd that come to be? He said, well, after we foreclosed on him and he cut the wheat crop, he sold it at the elevator and sent us the landlord's share of the wheat. And that guy said, there isn't nobody ever done that before. So Ken wanted to do what was right, not some of the time, but every time. And he was a good influence on me, and I'm proud to have known him. That's going to be it.
Sometimes it's easy to tie all the stories together in a neat little bow and see how they all fit with the scriptures. And other times you hear a story that just needs to be shared, even though uh, it doesn't really fit into any kind of outline or flow. But when I heard Brother Allen talk about how Kenny was always honest, it reminded me of a story that his son Heath shared with me. He says, we were sitting out working on some fence one day, a pasture that ain't nobody ever going to see unless they intentionally go to look for this fence. And we dug the first pole, uh, hole for the fence post, and then we dug the next one and dug the next one. And um, Heath kind of lined up at the end of the fence, and he looked down. And he could not see another pole for, for hundreds of yards because they were all so perfectly in line. And Heath asked his dad, Dad, why are you so picky about making this such a perfect line? Ain't nobody ever going to see this fence. And Kenny says, but I will. And I'll know that a job worth doing is worth doing right. And he says that that... Uh, principle has guided him through many decisions in his life even if nobody else sees i'll know if i did the right thing or not well as we gather together this morning to remember brother kenny if i could give you just one bit of advice it's to follow kenny's example this is his bible it's marked up you can tell the, the books that are worn because it's been studied over and over again. There are notes in the margins in the free space. There are underlines. And you can see he even put in all of the nice little bookmarks so that the family could see what they needed to see as they remember who Kenny was as a person. It's a hint for you because someday... Somebody's going to be preparing for your funeral. It's going to happen to all of us. So please, get a Bible that your family can find. Yeah, they need to know where the bank numbers are. They need to know where the insurance policies are. They need to know the pin for the account numbers. But most importantly, they need to know of your faith. And let your family know where they can find that Bible. See, Kenny's Bible has brought unimaginable comfort to his children and their spouses just this week. And the passages that he underlined basically wrote his own eulogy. So let me show you some of what we found. The first thing I found is that Kenny grasped God's mercy to sinners. Ephesians chapter 2 begins with the wickedness and the death of a person who is outside of Christ. But verse 4 of Ephesians 2 starts with one of the biggest buts in Scripture. And yes, kids, you can chuckle at that. It's that, but God, 
that we see in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God's mercy and grace can change the human heart regardless of your current condition. And God is kindly choosing you to receive his grace as well. Because the previous chapter to this was also underlined in Kenny's Bible. Because it says, just as he, Christ, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. See, Kenny knew God to be a kind God, a loving God, a gracious and a merciful God that doesn't want any to perish, but that all would come to repentance. See, God's merciful and gracious choice is that you would respond to his invitation to be adopted into his family. And speaking of God's will, Kenny had a pretty simple way of looking at it. He was known to have told his kids on more than one occasion, well, it's in the Bible, I'd better do it. And one of those things that he read in the Bible that is, that, is how a man should treat his wife. Because Ken loved Ruth with a love that still brought tears to his eyes even years after she had passed. Because he read somewhere in God's Word where it says, in the same way husbands, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Because he who loves his wife loves himself. Kathy recalled the many times that she heard her daddy say, the best way to love your kids is to love their mother. Something in Kenny died when Ruth died. Because he loved her as he loved himself, according to the scriptures. So Kenny knew God to be gracious and kind and merciful and loving, but he also knew some hard times. Kenny knew hardship, but it never broke him. Some have referred to Kenny as the Marlboro Man, but he wasn't a tobacco man, he was a Habakkuk man. Because he underlined in his Bible, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 where it says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. As a matter of fact, he wrote this to a choir master 
who led with stringed instruments. So I was saying, James, I've seen you play the guitar. Maybe you need to write a song for Grandpa, based on Habakkuk chapter 3. Ken and his wife Ruth endured one of the hardest things that parents will ever be asked to do when they buried their daughter, Kim. And every man in this room knows how closely our identity is tied to our work and our livelihood. And Ken and Ruth ran on some hard times, and Ken found himself some relief from a good friend, Alan, who has already spoken to us. But the circumstances that led Ken to work for Alan were events that would cause a lesser man to question the goodness of God. But Ken never broke because he chose to believe that something good was about to happen. This is what we call faith. And faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where Kenny underlined, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Kenny was able to remain honest because he had a faith that things were going to work out, even if he didn't see how it was going to happen. And then... Ken was also very fully aware in Romans chapter 8 where it tells us about the reward of remaining faithful. Where Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angel nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a portion of scripture that many of our young married uh, couples have been studying together. It is um, in the book of 1 John, and Kenny actually has uh, a bookmark at the front of 1 John. The back of it, it says it's from the uh, Jeanette Oakey collection. I don't know if he read Jeanette Oakey books or if this was Ruth's bookmark, but the bookmark is f- found here in 1 John, and he has written up in the top of the page Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, which we just read, and also John chapter 14, verse 6. It's this John 14, 6 that I would like to discuss for the rest of our time together. But let me set this verse, verse 6, in the setting of Jesus' conversation. For we see, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
See, in these verses, Jesus gave heavenly hope to heavy hearts. The disciples had just been with Christ as he calmed the seas that threatened to sink him. And the hard times that come into our lives that threaten to sink us, Jesus says, I can calm those as well. In John chapter 13, Jesus had just prophesied his coming death, which, of course, upset the disciples. Nobody likes to talk about the subject of death. Because the death of a loved one can unsettle our hearts. But when we are unsettled about death, Jesus says the way to settle an unsettled heart is to talk about the reality of heaven. One week ago yesterday, after the family had decided that hospice was the next care in Kenny's health plan, I personally heard him ask his nurse, a lady who lives down in Derby, he asked her, do you think heaven is real? And since that is the last question that I heard Kenny ask of anyone, that is the question that I pose to you right now. Do you think that heaven is real? I'm convinced it is. Because Jesus said it is. And he's been there. And since he came from there and he came to here, I can trust him when he tells us that there is a real place that we know by the name of heaven. I'm convinced that heaven is not only a real place, but it is really different from earth. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 13 says that this perishable must put on imperishable, And this mortal must put on immortality. Which tells me the story of the two little birds who had a nest in the bushes in the back part of the garden. Julia found the nest with the little eggs. And one day, after she had been away for some time, she ran into the garden to take a peek at the speckled eggs. And instead of the beautiful eggs, there were only broken, empty shells. Oh, she said, picking out the pieces, the beautiful eggs, they're all spoiled. They're broken. But her brother wisely said, no, Julia, they're not spoiled. The best part of them has taken wings and flown away. And so it is in death. The body left behind is only an empty shell. But the soul, the better part, has taken wings and flown away. See, heaven is a real place. And it is really different from where we live today. But Jesus also, in the verses that I read for you, says that not only is heaven a real place, but Jesus discusses the reservations that must be made in heaven. I asked Kenny point blank, what do you want the people at your memorial service to know about you? And because he's so humble, he said, oh, no, there won't be a service. And we said, no, there will be a service. You have lived well, and we want to honor you. And so he told me 
the one thing that he wants all of us to hear, he looked in my eyes and he says, well, revival preachers used to hold services out in the country church in Homestead. And some of them got pretty worked up. And it was at one of these services, when he was a junior in high school, that he responded to the invitation and he made sure that his reservation was set in heaven. Heaven is a real place, but reservations must be made. Kenny made his. Have you made yours? And then finally, in those same verses, Jesus says heaven is real. Heaven requires reservations, but he also gave them hope by talking about their reception. That I'm going, that where I am, you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again to take you unto myself. See, there, there's nothing really that can take away the hurt and the loss that we now feel. But knowing the assurance of heaven can offer peace during troubled times. And so for the family that here is here in front of me, the days ahead are going to be rough. There, you may be tempted to ask God, why did it happen the way that it did? Why did he have to suffer for those last few weeks? Well, perhaps we can draw strength from a story that reminds us that God does care. It's, it comes from Catherine Marshall's book about her husband, Peter. She tells a story about a young, terminally ill son asking his mother, what is death like? Does death hurt? Kenneth, she said, you remember when you were a tiny boy, how you used to play so hard all day that when night came, you would be too tired even to undress. And you'd somehow just tumble into mommy's bed and you'd fall fast asleep. Well, that was not your bed. It's not where you belonged. And so you would stay there only for a little while. And in the morning, much to your surprise, you would wake up in your own bed. So you were there because someone who loved you very much had taken care of you. Your father had come and with big, strong arms carried you away. And Kenneth, death is just like that. We just wake up some morning to find ourselves in the other room, the room where we belong, because the Lord Jesus loves us. The lad's face then began to shine, and he looked up into her eyes, and to the, he, he knew that he would go home, and there would be no more fear, only love and trust from a little child to a strong, loving father. He never questioned again. And several weeks later, he fell asleep in this place. And he woke up in the place where he belongs. Last Saturday, Kenny's pain medicines lured him to sleep. And Monday afternoon, he woke up in the place where he belongs. Before our final song, 
I'm told that Kenny had two questions that he would use to start conversations. The first was, are you married? And the second was, do you know Jesus? Do not leave this building today without being able to answer that second question in the positive. That would be Kenny's number one request of all of us. Do not leave this room today without knowing Jesus. As you reflect upon your knowledge of God, do you understand him to be a gracious, kind, merciful, loving God that we've talked about this morning? A God that works all things out, that we cannot be separated from his love? If you have placed your trust in what Christ finished on the cross of Calvary, you can rest that your reservation in heaven is secure and that you will be received well when your time comes. Kenny's family wants us to think a little bit about what that final rest may look like. So close your eyes if you would like. Focus on the picture behind me if you would like as we listen to these words.
Well, since the uh, events have ordered in such a way that they are, we will not be going immediately to the cemetery. The family has set aside some time and invites all of you to join in the south building. And so you can either go out this way and down, or you can go through the kitchen and go directly, directly over. There's some coffee, there's some treats, and we invite you to, to stay, to reminisce. Uh, you don't need to rush off. The, the building's already paid for, and so the landlord's not going to come and, and push us out. So you stay as long as you want, recollect with good stories, share good memories, and uh, the, the gym is available with plenty of room for you to socially distance and to do as you would like. And so we conclude our memorial service this morning with the words from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. The funeral home staff is going to escort out the family so that they can make their way across the way. And then we'll also dismiss you by rose after the family is relieved.